1: It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's here now. The goalkeeper's beaten, and South Africa has their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore.
0: Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight live on 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for being Night Owls with us. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Jarman. And Jess, Schoolhouse Rock taught me that three is the magic number. But after today's action, I think that the magic number is really number nine. Spain didn't get much out of the number nine position. We've talked to death about the United States men's national team and their lack of a number nine. Portugal made a little change with their number nine, and they scored six goals today. I think nine's the magic number.
2: You know I'm all about the defense usually, but I have to say the evidence points today towards number nines are going to win you games when they're able to bury their opportunities and shine bright, and I think we've seen teams struggle. To score goals against other teams that come out with a very very good defensive plan we'll start with morocco unbelievable defensive plan unbelievable mindset unbelievable commitment to the game plan to make spain who you know after that first game we started talking the talk a little bit about them we started feeling like they might be hot and eventually just weren't able to live up to those expectations after getting the 7-0 win just kind of ticking down the time bomb but you have to say that All praise has to go to Morocco for being able to keep that up for 120 minutes and then come through clutch at the highest pressure penalty shootout you can imagine.
0: Yeah, we've got tons to talk about tonight, recapping everything from the World Cup. We're going to get into Portugal and their big win in the second segment. We'll also take a look ahead at the quarterfinals now that we know what the lineup is. We're going to start with Spain-Morocco. I thought it was a fascinating game, and I completely agree with you, and it's something that has been bugging me all day, seeing some of the comments uh, about this game. Oh, it was boring. Oh, Spain didn't do anything. Spain's boring. Spain can't score. Spain didn't do this. Spain didn't do that. Yo, what about the defensive effort from Morocco? They've only conceded one goal in the whole tournament, and it was an own goal, by the way. Uh, They're going to be tough for anybody they play the rest of the way. The work they put in deserves credit. You can talk about Spain not scoring, but the reason they didn't score is not because Spain didn't want to. It's because Morocco shut them down a lot, not entirely. Spain had some opportunities. Morocco had some opportunities the other way, too. But to me, the epitome of what Morocco did today was Sofian Amrabat. The, the defensive midfielder. You know how I love holding midfielders.
2: Yeah, appreciation for that number six, Jason Longshore.
0: Absolutely. He had four tackles, but where he really just impressed me to no end was they talked about at the end of regulation, he was cramping up. And in the, to start extra time, he's defending for like three people somehow. He's the holding midfielder. They were playing... Kind of a 4-1-4-1, if you want to call it that. 4-1-5, but it's like separated by about five feet, basically. Um, He's the one in the middle, in front of the back line. He would step up in front of the midfield, press the center backs for Spain, drop in, then press somebody in the middle there, then drop further back and close somebody down. It was unbelievable. It's even more unbelievable that this guy had to have an injection at 3 a.m. to be able to play in the game. Incredible. And you want to talk about Spain didn't do this, Spain didn't do that. Sofian Amrabat and Morocco did that.
2: And I think the important thing to see is that epitomizes this entire Morocco squad, right? We're going to look at one player because the individual work rate from him was exceptional, deserves the praise, deserves the plaudits for pushing through the pain, for being able to put his country You know, first, I think in one of the press conferences, he spoke about how he couldn't abandon his country. He couldn't abandon his team. And that's exactly how the spirit of this entire team felt during the game. It felt like every single player had each other's backs. And when one player couldn't get there quick enough, someone else stepped in. It was very organized. It was very understanding. The chemistry between them was brilliant. And and I think that the issue is people are always going to look at Spain because they didn't score. But it was made very, very difficult for them to score because they weren't able to move the ball around to penetrate they had the possession they played nice soccer they moved the ball fairly well but as soon as they got anywhere near the goal as you mentioned Jason they were pressed and it would have been near impossible and I think the couple of opportunities they had would they want them back perhaps but you could say the same for Morocco the biggest chance of the entire game was Morocco one-on-one with the back pass into Simon's hands let's be honest here
0: Let's, let's go a step further, dig into these tactics a little bit. The, the big difference between what Morocco did and what Costa Rica did, because people are going to look at it and say, well, Costa Rica defended deep, Morocco defended deep. Why couldn't Spain break them down? It's all on Spain. No, Costa Rica defended passively. They defended deep. There were numbers back there, but they weren't stepping out to close when that time came. Morocco had triggers in the way that they're set up to press certain people, to press in certain ways. Ball gets into a certain zone. No, 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 no. You're not going to have a clean look at anything. You're going to shut down Busquets. You're not going to let him pick out those passes until players got tired. Then he started to pick those passes out. Morocco's defensive game plan was brilliant, and it was very well executed. There were only three shots on target, period, for the whole game. Two of those were from Morocco. The idea that you blame one team for that is completely and utterly inaccurate. You don't blame one team for not getting many shots. You credit the other team for keeping them from getting those shots on goal. I think Morocco came in with the approach, we're not getting into a shootout. We're not going to get into a back and forth end-to-end match with Spain. We can't win that way. We can win if we stretch the game out if we take our chances, which they didn't, went to penalties, we can win if we make it hard for Spain to do what they do. And Morocco did that. That was their game plan. It was the right call by their manager, Walid Grigragi, who came in in like September. He only had two games before the tournament with this team. He got the defense right. He got Hakim Zayic back into the team. And he's the first African coach to take a team to the quarterfinals ever.
2: Yeah, I think that's what's so impressive, Jason, that this team can look so cohesive, can look like it has so much chemistry, can look like it has so much togetherness and understanding of the game plan when you've got a new coach there. That shows that this team has bought in. You saw it in the celebrations with the coach being tossed up into the air after the goalkeeper yeah. got his turn as well. I think Bono deserved it uh, just as much. But it was one of those moments where you realise that these players are playing for a coach that they love, that they trust, that they want to be playing under. And a lot of times, that's one of the key steps for a successful team, right? Mutual respect between the managers and the players, because that's when you're truly able to thrive. When you're buying in and trusting the game plan completely, and that's what Morocco's done this entire tournament. My only concern, I guess, in a long-term perspective, is how much can you do this in a tournament game? The style of play is absolutely exhausting. At some point, the fatigue's yep. going to creep in. At some point, you're going to have injections. Not being enough because you know that's only a temporary solution and my fear for morocco would be are you able to after playing 120 minutes of exhausting soccer then bring yourself up in just a matter of days time
0: yeah and you know you got to face a team that scored six goals today that's not going to be easy uh it's tough it's it's exhausting to play in that manner but that was their way through and they found it Uh, While I'm griping about the way this game's been talked about, I'm going to take one more uh, phrase. And I really, really want this phrase to be on the banned list. I hate buzz phrases or buzzwords in general. They drive me insane. Uh, You see them in marketing all the time. I saw them in the nonprofit world all the time. I hate this idea of possession without purpose. (laughs) It's such a lazy thing to say. Of course, a team who has the ball has a purpose. Of course, every team that's worth anything in this game goes in with a game plan. They have a purpose. Possession can be used to attack, obviously. Possession can be used to rest. Mm -hmm. Possession can be used to defend possession can be used to speed up the game possession can be used to slow down the game there's always a purpose to possession the idea that having the ball is a bad thing is crazy just like just
2: like the idea of not
0: having the ball to just take that and say that's wrong that's crazy yeah. Every, every,
2: every coach goes into the, the meeting, right, and, and has a purpose in the way they want to play. They have an idea. They have an identity. The Spaniards knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to move the ball and create an opportunity. The issue was every time they looked in one which direction, they were cut off. They didn't have the passing lanes that they could see. And if more teams had played that way, if Costa Rica had been able to play with the same discipline that Morocco had, it would have no way been a 7-0 game. This is the blueprint in a lot of ways. If you are not a team that can go toe-to-toe with the Spanish, it's a great blueprint on how to frustrate and how to give yourself an opportunity against them.
0: Yeah, 100%. There is no one way to play the sport. There's no one way that you can sit and say, I'm going to build a team, not knowing who the players are, and I'm going to have them play like this because this is how you win, that's impossible. You have to match your game plan, your style, your game model. You have to match that to the players you have. It's the same in any sport. This is not some weird thing for soccer. If you're you're not a huge soccer fan and you don't get into the tactics, it's the same in, in American football. If you don't have great options in the passing game, you probably shouldn't throw the ball all around the field, should you?
2: Even I understand that one, Jason. There you go. Even I understand
0: that. There you go. If you, you know, basketball, if you're not a good three-point shooting team, you probably shouldn't just jack up threes all night. You have to match your game plan to the players you have. And full credit to Morocco for doing that. Now, we got to talk about the penalty shootout. We got a goalkeeper here in, in Jess. What did you think of Bono, the Moroccan goalkeeper who kept Spain off the board completely?
2: I thought he'd done his research and his team around him had done his research. He looked very confident, very composed in the way that he was going to dive. It looked like he made his decision right away. Even the first one that hit the post, he had it covered. If it had tried to sneak in, he would have been able to get there. I thought his range was fantastic in terms of his movement across the goal. His discipline to stay on the line, which is again one of the hardest things now for goalkeepers. Now you've had that advantage taken away. You really have to be patient with your movement across the goal. And I thought that I got really frustrated listening to I think it was Ali Wagner talking about the fact that they were they were not good penalties. They weren't. They were they were savable penalties. Well, I'm sorry, but I'd like to see her in goal from 12 yards trying to save penalties because at the end of the day, there's no, if you hit the target, it's a good save from the goalkeeper. Anytime the goalkeeper guesses right, even if he stands for a Penenka, it's a good save because he's made the right decision. And I think that mentality of, oh, well, it was a rubbish penalty needs to go away because at this stage, if a goalkeeper is able to save one, let alone three penalties, they've done a good job.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, you want excellent penalties you want them in places where goalkeepers can't get to it even if they guess right that's a perfect scenario it's very hard to do that take the other side of it you know it's it's very hard when you have a goalkeeper who is kind of feeling it it's very hard to beat them it gets in your head and I think with Spain penalties in general are in their head we talked about it last night you know the idea that Luis Enrique gave them homework take a thousand penalties before you get to the World Cup (laughs) You can either hide from history and say, no, we're not going to talk about it. I don't want to have them thinking about it. Or you can try to embrace it with a young team. I think he tried to get ahead of it, knowing you were probably going to have to win a shootout at some stage. Well, they lost this one. They lost the Euro 2020 shootout, the semifinal to Italy. They lost the 2018 World Cup round to 16 shootout to Russia. Um, Go back to 2002. They were eliminated in a shootout by South Korea. They've lost three World Cup shootouts in a row. They've lost more shootouts than any other nation in World Cup history. Four, they also are only the second team to fail to score one penalty in a shootout. It's in their head. I don't know how else you fix it. I was incredibly impressed with Luis Enrique and the things he had to say afterwards about not abandoning their style backing up his players for believing in their style and backing up the players who took the penalties is asked if he would have the same three players take penalties and trying to get him to say no he said if we had another shootout i would only change bono the goalkeeper for morocco that's a classy guy we'll see if he's in charge of spain going forward we don't know yet we'll talk about that a little bit more later on but after the break did we see one of the most aggressive lineup choices in recent tournament history today? And does Fernando Santos have a crystal ball? Find out in five minutes as Atlanta Soccer Tonight returns on nine. The Game and the Odyssey app.
1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now we're back with more of our look at all of today's matches on Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Let's
0: go. On Sports Radio
1: 92.9, The Game.
0: Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. We've talked about the defensive battle of the day. Let's talk about the blowout, Portugal 6-1 over Switzerland. And we'll get into Gonzalo Ramos and and the goals and, and Pepe at 39 years old scoring a goal, the ageless wonder. But we have to start, Jess, with the decision that Fernando Santos made to sit cristiano ronaldo and start gonzalo ramos his first start for portugal i think the man has a crystal ball but i also think that the media because they're so wrapped up in ronaldo and he's surrounded by thousands of photographers (laughs) i don't think we actually completely know why he sat ronaldo he said all the right things afterwards to try to keep ronaldo as part of the group but i also saw videos after the game of ronaldo leaving the field very quickly players are still celebrating with the fans it's so weird right now but they look so much better with him on the bench
2: brave 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 decision that ended up paying off and ended up being a genius move. Like you say, you start a player that's played 10 minutes during this World Cup and he has the best, you know, moments of his career pretty much on the world stage, getting the hat trick, taking home the match ball. I think my favorite clip of that game is him going up to the referees to check he's allowed to take the ball with him. He was one very proud uh, 21-year-old guy. But listen, it was the right move for many a reason. I think it was the right move to boost this portuguese team in terms of so much of what they do a lot of the time surrounds ronaldo and that's not an effective style at this stage of his career we've said he was once one of the greatest without a doubt he is now lacking some of that explosiveness that we saw on the pitch today he's now lacking some of that speed and agility at this stage of his career unfortunately players change as they reach their late 30s that is a biological fact and i don't know if he has quite accepted that yet and been able to adjust his style of play and adjust his role and i think it was the right decision not only for the portuguese team but maybe for ronaldo too to humble him a little bit perhaps maybe we start to see a better ronaldo when he does have an impact i do get what you're saying about his after the match um escapades i do think that during the game at least when the camera was on him, he seemed to be very supportive joining yeah. in the celebrations. That was nice to see whether that's media training or genuine celebration we can leave up to the individual viewer. But
0: Yeah, there was a tweet that, that Fox put out that was very misleading that he didn't celebrate the first goal, the, the golasso from Gonzalo Ramos. He did celebrate it. The The shot that they showed in the tweet was after everybody was back to the bench because one of his teammates is sitting there with the same facial expression. So look, you don't have to manufacture drama around Cristiano. There's Ronaldo. Enough.
2: There is enough of it. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's going to give you that drama. He's going to do something ridiculous. You cannot hang on to a player past their prime, unable to run, unable to impact games like they used to you can't hang on to them and expect them to be what they used to be you can't hang on to them when obviously there is an issue with how it affects the way the team plays if they're on the field because Portugal doesn't look like the same team today as they did when Ronaldo's on the field maybe they defer to him maybe they're trying to feed him I don't know they looked much more free today Mm -hmm. You can't hold on to the past in those situations. At some point, you have to rip the Band-Aid off and you have to move on. i are
2: blessed, Jason. This is a side that's blessed with youth and exciting. It would be different if you were a squad that didn't have up-and-coming players, that didn't have exciting young products that you want to give World Cup minutes to at this point to get experience under their belts. Because guess what? In two years' time when the Euros come around or in – you know, four years' time when the next World Cup is, Renato isn't going to be in the picture. And we saw it with the Mexican national team where they have some regrets now because they didn't have any players get it World Cup experience. Portugal doesn't need to be giving minutes or high level of minutes to a player that's not going to be part of the big picture anymore. Keep him as an option off of the bench. It's still an amazing player, let's be honest, to have coming off of the bench. It's not a bad option to have, but you've seen that your squad depth and who was on your bench before probably deserves to be in the starting lineup going forwards.
0: Yeah, just don't have him taking free kicks anymore. I mean, we can, again, we can hold on to the past and how he took free kicks and uh, as amazing as different technique. And yeah, I think he's put uh, 583 straight free kicks into the wall. So yeah. we can kind of stop that now at this point. He's lethal in the 18, he's dangerous on headers but he's also uh, somebody who is a black hole in the way that a team starts to play. Cause they just start trying to feed him with headers. This team's better than that. Bruno Fernandes is this team. He's the best player in this tournament so far. And he's not getting talked about because of all the other stuff. Um, Gonzalo Ramos is going to be on that list. Joao Felix was great in this match. Pepe, you want to talk about old guys with Portugal who are doing something. Pepe, he's 39. He hasn't gotten a red card yet for going insane and trying to break somebody's leg. I keep waiting for that to happen. Um, If you haven't seen the clips of Pepe, by the way, and some of his uh, rage incidents on the field.
2: veins popping out his forehead, right?
0: Yeah, it's scary. He's had some red cards that are really scary. Like, he just completely lost control. But what a header from him. And we have to talk about Ramos. That first goal, that felt like that just bursting onto the scene. I didn't expect him to hit that shot. He had no angle. He had nowhere to put it except the postage stamp that he found.
2: It felt like an angry shot, honestly, to me. It oh, felt yeah. like, uh, this is what I can do for you. You know, It felt like he'd been waiting for his moment to prove what he can do. And he was very respectful in his comments about Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo in the post um interview. Very good about saying he's a leader, saying that he spoke to him before the game and was very happy for him. But to me, that looked like a shot saying, hey, I'm here now, I'm the next generation, and this is what I can do for you. And you're right, he had absolutely no angle. There was no way you were gonna beat the goalkeeper from his angle other than that position. And the pace that he put it into had no chance with the keeper. There was some criticism going out there. Anytime a goalie gets beat at a near post, but that doesn't count as a near post finish when it's rattled at you like that. That's not being beaten at the near post I can't stand it it's an amazing goal it's unsavable And, and I don't think any goalkeeper in this World Cup is saving that shot
0: if there's anything we can pull off on Atlanta soccer tonight in this run during the World Cup it's trying to get rid of some of those crutches that people use possession with without purpose and goalkeepers getting beat at the near post is an automatic bad thing can we get rid of both of those please eventually in this conversation uh, Ramos, I mean, he, set history. He was the youngest player to score a hat trick in a world cup match since 1962. I mean, this doesn't happen very often. It's the first of this tournament and he's got to start against Morocco, right? Uh,
2: you can't drop a guy that's coming off of a hat trick. And you also have to credit the difference in the three goals. That's what I think is also very yeah. impressive with the hat trick. You've got that wonder strike, You've got, you know, a tap in where he makes the perfect run to the near post. And then you've got the cheeky little dink over the goalkeeper with the one on one. And I think that players that can score a hat trick like that, it's almost like the perfect hat trick where a player has, you know, the left, the right and the header. But when you have three very differing strikes, it shows the full package ability you have and the nightmare you can create for defenders and against a side like Morocco that's going to defend hard, you need that electric nature, you need that ability to try and run through and penetrate and take opportunities because they're going to frustrate you in a way that the Swiss weren't able to. And I do wonder if maybe this game almost became too much of a a easy match that then they're going to face a different struggle defensively in the quarters.
0: Yeah, possibly. I think it's going to help them more, though, that they didn't have to really overexert themselves here, and Morocco mm-hmm. did. That's mm. going to show up in the quarterfinals. It has to. I don't know how early it shows up because, I mean, Morocco is going to do what they do. We're not going to see Morocco come out and try to have the ball for 70% of the game. Portugal's got to come in with as young of a lineup as they, they feel comfortable with, play as fast as they feel comfortable with, early on and really see where the legs are for Morocco, but Morocco is going to sit back and, and try to frustrate them. I think it's a, it's really a game where Bruno Fernandes has to step up and put this team on his back. I think with Portugal for so long, Bruno has had to defer to Ronaldo. He's always had to defer at times for a while there. He was being dropped. Because people said they couldn't play in the same team together. They'd be in the same spaces. It didn't work. This is Bruno's team now. And this is going to be a game where you compare Portugal and Spain. That's the matchup we thought we were going to see in the quarterfinal. You compare them. Portugal, I think, has a better natural playmaker in Bruno Fernandes. And they have a number nine option coming off of a hat trick. They're going to make it more difficult for Morocco. But the flip side is the game is going to be different and Morocco is going to have opportunities to get loose down the right side. And that's we talked about it yesterday. That's their strength. Hakimi just bombs forward all the time. Zayech on that side. You want to have space for them to get into. If Portugal commits numbers forward, that might open up space for Morocco to counter if they've got the legs to do it.
2: I just hope they're working on finishing right now because i think that was an area from the moroccan side that they'll look back at and be a little disappointed because they did get themselves into a few of those opportunities they had a couple of really good drives forward and confident plays to enter the 18-yard box but they just sort of choked when it came in front of goal and unfortunately when you're a side that's going to play like morocco is those opportunities aren't going to come round all too often and you can't bank on making it to extra time making it to penalty shootouts where it's a flip of a coin let's be honest yes there's skill to it but you just never know which way it's going to go on the day and I think they just need to be a little bit more clinical but I think you're right they may get or they should get two three opportunities against the Portuguese and if they're able to put them to bed then you never know because of the way that they have been so resilient defensively.
0: The other thing, and we talked a lot about Spain and what they did or didn't do in their loss. Switzerland was very bad in, in this game. They they really struggled to get a foothold in it. That early kind of a goal, it is a a it, it shakes you. It, it definitely rattles you. The Swiss didn't look good before that. They looked worse after. I mean, it's just an awful response to falling behind. We had talked about the Swiss being maybe unspectacular in this tournament, but solid. They weren't even solid today.
2: No, it was a very underwhelming performance. It was one of those where you just felt bad watching it for them because they didn't have anything there. I know we talked trash on Poland a little bit, but it felt a bit like that. It was just very meh, very uninspiring, very... I think what disappointed me about the Swiss, like, yeah, they got the goal back. One goal, one consolation. They didn't seem to have the fight or desire after conceding the second. After conceding two, it felt like the heads were down. It was game over. They weren't too bothered about it. And I think you've got to have more fight than that when you're playing for your nation in the World Cup. I think you've got to have a little bit more bravery and tougher mentality to try and get back into it because they just look like they laid down and died a little bit. And of course, that's not to take away from Portugal. I thought they did very, very well and they were dominant going forwards and they knew what they were doing and they had... You know, a, a lot of star power up there. Um, but yeah, the Swiss didn't exactly make it too tough of a of a fight for them, did they?
0: No, nah, they were they were really poor. And you know, it's easy when you get into to this round and there starts to be that big separation. the the round of sixteen, the games felt different than the group stage. You didn't see many upsets. Morocco gets through on penalties. They did not win. It was a draw. They go through on penalties. But you start to see that gap. What surprised me about the Swiss is they kind of rolled over when that gap materialized, Mm -hmm. whereas we've seen some other teams fight and keep fighting to try to close that gap and maybe jump over that gap and make it to the quarterfinals. We're going to take an early look at the rest of the quarterfinals and get caught up on the latest news around the world on the other side of the break. See you all in five minutes on Atlanta Soccer tonight. Hang out with us on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
3: Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. Back to more of Atlanta soccer tonight on Sports Radio 929 The Game.
0: Welcome back. Final segment, Atlanta Soccer tonight, wrapping up the round of 16 and starting to look ahead to the quarterfinals at this World Cup. We've talked a lot about Portugal and Morocco. I think just the the story for Brazil and Croatia is similar in some ways. You know, Morocco and Croatia both get through in penalties. Um, Morocco is not quite as old of a team as Croatia, but. Both are going to be tired. They played 120 minutes, had to survive penalties. However, both will have momentum and both will have a lot of belief in getting to this point. I just don't know if they have the legs in the quarterfinal.
2: Yeah, there's something very special about getting through on a penalty shootout, right? There's something very unique about being able to show that resilience, show that toughness, and overcome one of the most uncomfortable moments in soccer which is a penalty shootout it's a very horrible moment that turns emphatic uh, for one team only that said i think controlling your emotions being able to get back down uh, emotionally as well to then get back on the focus after the roller coaster of both these games it was a, a roller coaster for croatia as much as it was for morocco in in the game maybe even more so for croatia in the way that they had to come back as well the fatigue is undeniable, right? To be playing 120 minutes, the intensity of that. I remember the days of college overtime, you know, and we would play Wednesday, go to double overtime, Saturday, double overtime, Wednesday, double overtime. And there's only so much of that you can do. And this is obviously at a far elite level than the college game. And I think that that is has to have an impact on these sides, particularly Croatia, as you mentioned, with the age, in their legs, and it may be that they have to play smarter and not harder to overcome those obstacles when it comes to facing, you know, the favorite. It's not It's it, not like they've got an easy path through to the final, is it?
0: No, no, not with uh, Portugal, who seems like a brand-new team now with Ronaldo on the bench. And Brazil, who ha- has been scoring a lot of goals and looking dangerous in this tournament. Um, Zlatko Dalic, the manager for Croatia, said all the, the things you would expect about respecting Brazil, not being afraid of Brazil, but also, you know, knowing how good they are in the attack. Brazil didn't have to overexert themselves in the second half. Portugal didn't have to overexert themselves in the second half. It really comes down for me to the first 15, 20 minutes in these games and how the fresher team can get control of it. Because I think if they don't, if if we get through 15, 20 minutes and you're Morocco, you're Croatia, and you're hanging in, you're creating a chance here or there but you're defending well, not giving up a lot, you're going to start to believe and you're going to start to grow in that belief. I think the the game flow coming in for what the underdog wants to do in, in these two games is very similar. You've got to manage each segment of the match because you know you're going to have moments where the legs just aren't there.
2: You are, and you're going to have to avoid the early goals. We've seen in some of these large blowout games, it's the early goal that's been catastrophic for the teams. You look at South Korea, you look at the game today, conceding early against a strong side when you're the underdog. It is the worst possible circumstance. Everything gets thrown out the window in terms of game plan. I think particularly for Morocco, who is going to obviously be the slightly more defensive-minded team, I think, versus Croatia, who maybe feels like they have a little bit more... Of a right to go. I think they'll still play defensive, but they might still have a little bit more trust in maybe imposing their game a little bit more.
0: They will. Yeah.
2: It's one of those where if you concede early in your Morocco, your game plan goes completely out of the window. You're also a side, as you mentioned, that's only conceded one and it was an own goal. And if you suddenly concede in the run of play against a really good opposition, then mentally you may start to cave in a little bit. And when your head goes, that's when things get a little messy in games. And I think that's one of the reasons we saw the second game today escalate so quickly. I think the Swiss got in their heads a lot. And I think if you see one of these two sides in Croatia and Morocco lose their heads, then those games could get a little ugly.
0: Croatia can try to control the game a little bit more with the ball. You know, when you have a midfield like they do, when you have Luka Modric even at 37, when you have Marcelo Brozovic and you can control the game a little bit more with the ball, maybe use possession a, a little bit to rest at times, I, th- I think you've got a few more weapons. And you have to remember, we talked about it yesterday with Croatia because he had one of the the best goals in the tournament, in my opinion, uh, Ivan Perisic getting on the end of a cross. You know, Croatia will attack down the flanks. They'll use the midfield to draw you in. They'll try to set up those crossing opportunities. And if you're looking at a weakness for Brazil, fullback is probably it. I mean, there's not many weaknesses with this team. And I do think that the right-back issue now with TELUS out, with Danilo out, the fullback issue with Militao as the right-back, it actually kind of helps them. You know, it turns them into a little bit more of a like three two five when they they're in possession because Militao stays home. He's normally a center back. So you have three players back at all times. You have Casemiro in front. The left back kind of sits in and tucks in a little bit with Casemiro. So you've got five back. I mean, this is what you see with a Manchester City. It's what you see with a Barcelona. Like Brazil plays in that way. So they have that that foundation to defend. But then that also frees up that attacking five, which is as good as any attacking five you will find in the world. It frees them up to just go. Croatia has to try to attack down the flanks and look for parasites on those headers.
2: They do. But I also think Brazil hasn't been battle tested defensively truly yet either. Yeah. I don't think we've been able to see exactly how, steady they're going to be defensively there are a few moments in their last game where I thought they looked shaky a couple of poor turnovers a couple of bad decision making in terms of trying to build up with the 18 under pressure and I think Croatia may have more to challenge them they may offer them more of a challenge breaking forward and that could end up being an advantage for the Croatians if they are able to catch a team off guard that hasn't necessarily had to defend or fight for their lives yet right I think they've been bar the game where they rotated a lot of players. They've been in a a fairly nice circumstance in the majority of their matches.
0: We've talked a lot on the show about how much uh, I think we both like Luis Enrique, and you can like the style, not like the style, but I think the man and the way he manages a team and the way he deals with with the the questions that always Mm -hmm. come his way, I can really appreciate him. Um, I'm also really starting to like Louis Van Hall from the (laughs) Netherlands uh, because he does not hold back at all. And he'll explain things in in detail. And when people want to pull quotes for that, he wants that he says, make sure it's translated properly and make sure you provide the proper context. He was praising Greg Berhalter for the U.S. style. He was also taking some shots at Brazil a little bit in, in some of the comments this week and maybe taking shots more at his own Dutch media, who has been on his back about, them being boring or them being defensive or them countering. He said, uh, I also saw a piece of Brazil yesterday. They actually play the same football as the Dutch national team. They play from a compact defense and switch very quickly. The strange thing is I then read in the media from my friends that it was sparkling football. While we also did that. We also scored that way. The goal was much nicer. That was a team goal talking about their first goal Uh against the U S he said that rises above everything. Um, you know, maybe he's overplaying it a bit. I think that's that's fair to say, even though I, I do kind of like LVG these days. But do you think the Dutch are not getting enough credit for the way that they're playing?
2: I think once they play that way consistently, then you can start talking about that, right? But I don't think they played as well in the group stages as maybe they did against the U.S. I thought their performance against the U.S. was very, very good. I thought they outplayed the U.S. and made... A us team that looked very good in the group stages look a little bit more ineffective because they really came to play and they did move the ball nicely and they did score some nice goals and they were linking up well from their defense and breaking and switching but you got to do it consistently and let's be honest brazil is always going to be known for this style of play they've done it for longer they've been you know it's Brazil, you grow up a, as a kid loving soccer and Brazil is the team with all the glitz and glamour a lot of the time that you expect these things from. So maybe the Dutch in their orange uniforms might get overlooked a little bit just because of it being, you know, the Netherlands rather than Brazil. But I don't think they're at Brazil's level yet. I think that one game, you you got to gotta start talking that way once you've done that consistently throughout the entire group stage. Yeah,
0: I I think the the Dutch are good. I I think they're going to be a really tough opponent for Argentina. And and I think the structure is a big reason why. And Brazil has structure too. And in the past, I think we talk about both of these teams differently. I mean, talking about how style evolves and how teams evolve. And when you start talking about national teams, it it gets really interesting when you get into national pride and, and the identity of the country and the people and culture because a lot of times you see national teams kind of represent their culture that they come from. Brazil has always been that way. And Mm -hmm. Brazil, you have people in Brazil who don't like Chichi the manager and don't like his style of play and say, it's too structured and it's holding back all these amazing attacking players. Um, sure you could just let them run wild and then you wouldn't have the defensive side of it
2: balance is the key word i think you have to find the balance of having some very fine lines that can be erased as your structure you know you're doing it in pencil not in Mm -hmm. a sharpie pen but you have to have those pencil lines around and then be able to encourage the free spirit encourage the fluidity encourage the showmanship but you can't just have 11 players doing whatever they want to express themselves on the pitch, or it's mayhem.
0: It, well, it can be. It can be beautiful. I mean, go back to the team that is probably like the romantic ideal of, of soccer for a lot of old-school fans. It's the Brazilian team from 1982, which is, a lot of people say it's one of the best teams, maybe alongside the, the Dutch of 74, and it's actually a really similar story. The best team that, that never won the World Cup. And even Jan Cruyff would say that, you know, they, they won the, the hearts of the people and they didn't need to win the World Cup. But it's easy to say when you don't win it. Both of those teams were let down by not having structure, not having that defensive balance. They always went for it. Brazil needed a draw against Italy in the last uh, second group stage game to get to the semifinal. And they couldn't manage it because they kept just leaving people open in the 18, Paulo Rossi has a hat trick. You have to have both, I think to be elite and at times Brazil hasn't had the balance and at times they've overdone it and and they've really gotten away from who they are. I think this team is walking that line of having just enough structure to help them defensively, but not too much that it makes them play unlike Brazil. I think the Netherlands Maybe too much structure and they're not loose enough, but, and I'll, I'll really give Louis Van Hall the benefit of the doubt here. I think they kind of have to do that because this Dutch team isn't as good as some previous Dutch teams that could be more freewheeling. So they need more structure to overcome that Morocco needed a ton of structure to overcome a great Spanish team today. Some teams less structure more talent. Argentina's kind of in that realm, I think. They have a structure, but you get to the attacking third, it's find number 10. It's find Lionel Messi give him an opportunity. You have to know what works for your group of players and you have to then trust in it and go out and execute in this tournament. And I think the eight teams that are left are a really good example of teams with identity, teams with the right level of structure. And we're going to see some great quarterfinals.
2: Uh, there's, it's some very tasty fixtures. I'm a little nervous about one of them. I'm ready to get a Saturday out the way. I'm not going to lie to you, Jason.
0: Well, Kylian Mbappe didn't train today with the rest of the group. Are you excited about luring that?
2: Us, luring us into a false sense of security. Don't do it. He'll be back. He'll be back just like Neymar. Just like Neymar.
0: He was resting, I am sure, after uh, his scintillating performance. A couple other things really quick on the news front before we go. Uh, Thomas Tuchel's name has come up in taking over the German national team. He is out of a job, so they don't have to call up Liverpool and try to get Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Newcastle have been inundated with loan offers for one of our favorite players from this tournament, uh, Garan Kuol from Australia. He's 18. He's going to Newcastle. They got him ahead of the tournament for 300,000 pounds. That's a pretty sweet deal. From our old friend, Darren Eels. Uh, uh, you know, if, if Grant Kowal wanted to come play in MLS on loan for a little while, uh, hey, hey, I'm not going to complain about that. Um, and on the MLS front, there was a big coaching announcement today. Uh, somebody who I think has been one of the best coaches in the league, yeah. Wilfred Nancy. He's moving from Montreal to Columbus. I think that makes the crew one to watch next year.
2: Yeah, I think it makes Montreal fans very upset, probably, about what's going to happen up in Canada, quite frankly. But big move for the crew and excited to see what they can do this year.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating one. Uh, Montreal's just got to trust in what they have at the club level because Nancy was there forever, stepped up. I'm sure they've got coaches in the club who can step up like Wilfred did. He's one of the best. Columbus will definitely be a team to watch. We're going to take a a day off. This is weird. I don't even know what to do with this. There's two days without World Cup games. It's going to be strange. We're back Thursday night at about 1145 after NFL football. Make sure you subscribe to the Off the Woodwork podcast on the Odyssey app or your favorite podcatcher. You can always listen to the show on demand. We've got some interviews coming up for you this week as well. Be on the lookout for those. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Adios, everybody.